0: We will be in Luke chapter seven today. We're continuing in our series. Today's called How's Your Posture? It's our series called Certain Truth from the Gospel of Luke. We're going to be in Luke chapter seven. And if you're using the Red Church Bible, it's going to be page 643. Now, I'm sure you're familiar with the uh, the saying, the phrase, whatever that the cliche. This is God helps those who help themselves. Ever heard that? Anyone know where to find that in the Bible? Hezekiah, I think it might be in first perversions, chapter 12, but um, it's not actually in the Bible. Um, That's a surprise to some because it just sounds so good, doesn't it? God helps those that help themselves. I mean, that just makes perfect sense. Um, But it's not there. God doesn't help those who can help themselves. God helps those who admit they need help. Blessed are the poor in spirit, etc. As uh, James chapter 4, 6 and 1 Peter 5, 5 say, God opposes the proud, but he favors or he gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but he favors the humble. There's a, a pastor I follow sometimes. He, he put it this way. Uh, he, he says, when we stop trying to be deserving of God's help, we find God more willing, more than willing, to be our Savior. But when we continue to try to work things out, we're trying to be our own Savior. And God will say, save yourself, because I can't help you when you don't need my help. So there's a there's a place of saying, I can do it myself. I know what I'm doing. No one can tell me what to do. I've got it figured out. Um, I'm, I'm kind of the expert. And so it's as though God just... Stands back and says, "Oh, you want to do this yourself? Okay, go for it." Well, today in Luke chapter seven, we're going to see this unfold as we witness a surprising encounter between Jesus and a Pharisee and a notoriously sinful woman—what the Bible calls an immoral woman. We don't get—we're not given her name. Now, who would you guess? Who would you guess is by the end of the story going to receive? God's favor, the Pharisee or the woman? Let's find out. Will you stand with me to read God's word? Luke chapter 7, starting at verse 36, and we're reading up to verse 50. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. It says, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. Or literally, yours might say, reclined at table. So, you know, in those cultures, they'll, they'll be on the floor like this, at the table, sitting, their feet are in behind them. Okay, so that's kind of the the format, if you can visualize that. Um, When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping, and her tears fell at his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair, and she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. You might wonder, how did this woman get in the door? But it was an allowable custom at the time for, a, for a, quite a special dinner that the poor would be allowed to come and take leftovers. So it's not that unusual that she would come in. Verse 39, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him the story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now, who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, well, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And then he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she's washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she's not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Verse 47, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who has forgiven little shows only a little love. And Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And the men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. We thank the Lord for His Word. Let's take a seat together. I, you know, I really believe this episode is once again all about how we're looking at Jesus. How we're seeing Jesus. And you know, it was the question, you know, Who is Jesus to you? How do you see Him? To this Simon the, the Pharisee, Jesus was, a, I think, a curiosity, an interesting, maddening, traveling rabbi. And uh, to guess at the party, we're not really sure, except we know they wondered, you know, who is this man who forgives sins to the woman? This man, Jesus, was her only hope, her savior, her salvation. And when we met a few weeks ago, we met Peter, the fisherman, you know, encountering Jesus on the shore of Galilee. He suddenly saw Jesus But he saw his own sin and his own brokenness in light of Jesus as he took in that big, huge catch of fish. He dropped his nets and he followed the Lord. For Levi, the tax collector, a few weeks ago, we talked about him too. And meeting Jesus was enough for him to leave his tax booth behind. Everything that he counted on and depended on, all that weight and baggage that kept him back from really moving forward. He left that behind to follow Jesus and then bring others along with him. So we kind of hope to hear another cool conversion story you know Jesus goes to this home and, and maybe this maybe this pharisee's going to be like yeah Jesus I want to follow you but no we learn pretty quickly Simon is a terrible host you wonder why he even bothered to invite Jesus over i mean if if he's not even going to you know offer the 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 basic custom courtesies right no water to wash, no kiss of greeting, no anointing oil. He's just downright rude. It's, it's almost as though he's invited Jesus over just to punk him. You know, just to, just, to, just to insult Jesus. And you can just imagine how awkwardly this dinner party is going. Because everybody knows what's supposed to happen. And it hasn't been happening. And then this woman comes in. Right? Well, it leaves me wondering... Why did he bother with the party? I mean, who was Jesus? I mean, who was Simon trying to impress? Was he trying to impress Jesus, the rabbi? Was he trying to impress his friends and show how well connected he was? Hey, I'm, you know, friends with Jesus, this new guy around. Was he trying to impress God? I mean, Simon somehow let it be known that he was having Jesus over for dinner. <clears throat> Just not to drop names or anything, but yeah, Jesus is coming by tonight for dinner at my house, you know. Little of that going on attracted this this immoral woman, possibly a prostitute. But this was not gracious hospitality or generosity. He did this; it would appear purely for his own benefit. And I would say it's always worth us asking: Who's my audience, and what's my motivation? Who's my audience, and what's my motivation? You know, particularly when you think about what the Bible calls good deeds. How much of that is really for Jesus and how much of it is for me to make me feel good in worship? How much of that is for me and how much of that is really for the Lord? Simon was a classic Pharisee, right? Doing good deeds to pump up his image, build up his ego, hopefully earn some righteousness points. Whatever, wherever that scale is kept, he was thinking, man, I'm, I'm really filling my righteousness tank. God is not impressed by our good efforts. At least not when they're done for those reasons. God looks intently at your heart, what's inside, where your motivation comes from. You, you want to keep this in mind. When it comes to sort of outward appearance, particularly in worship... You know that the Bible only warns against, cautions against Pharisees and people who dress fancy. There's nothing wrong with dressing up, but we better check and watch the motivation for that. So, especially when it comes to bringing my praise and my prayers to God, who's my audience and what's my motivation? If it's for how it makes me feel, like I think it was for Simon Quick, I'll, I'll, I'll become like Simon. Quick to pass judgment. Passing judgment on both Jesus and the sinful woman. Imagine that. The, the, the gall to pass judgment on Jesus, the Savior. But if I'm humble like the woman was, pouring herself out, pouring her life out, pouring out her perfume, pouring out her tears, if I'm humble like that, looking to Jesus... The way others are responding won't bother me a bit. I mean, here are these people. They are talking right in front of her, about her. She doesn't care. She does not care because she's got eyes for Jesus only. So anytime we deliberately spend time with Jesus, it is worship. Whether it's time alone, whether it's time here Maybe you're a maybe you're a in the car pray person. I learned yesterday in our running clubs that some of some people pray when they run. All I can do is pray that the run ends very soon. <laughs> it's crazy, right? Anytime we deliberately spend time with Jesus, it's worship. And I'm not saying we shouldn't personally benefit from worship. I mean, I just love when we sing a good worship sentence. It's Like, oh, that was great. I enjoyed that. Oh, man, I just loved hearing all the voices. But but who is it for? Really? Who's my audience and what's my motivation? For the woman, it was all about Jesus. And she she just didn't care about others. She didn't even care about how her experience would make her feel. You really get that sense. She did this for Jesus. She didn't do this for Jesus for herself. Do you see that very important distinction? She just needed to get to Him. Some scholars think that there There's, there's a, a practice then, and it's been revived a couple times through history. There's a practice of, of actually storing tears in a bottle. And, and I'm not talking about the Jim Crouch song. I mean, it's just like they, there was a, there was a, it was customary to store your tears. And they those that tear bottle would be buried with you. Um, women, when their husbands would go off to war, would store their tears to show, look how much I missed you while you were gone. So some are are suggesting that she even brought her tear bottle and poured that out on his feet. We don't know, but it was was just an extravagant response to, uh, to him. Even though I think others would have deemed her unworthy, Jesus didn't say that she's not worthy. Jesus didn't say, woman, why are you touching me? Woman, get your life together and then come back. He didn't do that. Um, she worshiped Jesus. And it says she showed much love. That's worship. Showing much love in response to what you've received or are in the process of receiving. So she was truly grateful. And this little parable says because she'd received much, been forgiven much. She loved much. So I would ask this. Can I worship out of true gratitude? Can I worship God out of true gratitude? I wonder, you know, can you imagine... If we all worshiped like that, you know, if we really got honest about our own brokenness and got honest about God's amazing grace and what that's done in our life, if we could really capture a picture of that in our own minds. I mean, what if in our worship together we said, who cares what anyone else thinks? I'm just here to worship no matter what my reputation. What would that look like? I mean, can you imagine if we on a Sunday morning? Right. Even here in this place yielded. To God with hands up, raised, or on our knees before the Lord. Maybe in that prayer room like we've been talking about. I think you and I would experience the love of God on a whole new level. And I think we've all seen people like that. I think I've talked to you about being a guest speaker one time at a church. It was a flag-waving church. And, um, ever been in a flag-waving church? A few of you? So there's some churches that in the worship time, they have people that go around with flags. And the flags somehow symbolize our, our worship to God. It's very expressive. It's interesting. But it can be dangerous. I was sitting in the front row. I just about got clocked on the head by a flag waver. And, uh, but you know, I look at that and I'm like, okay, that to me is in the weird category. At the same time, I'm like, I admire that that person's lack of inhibition just to be able to worship God and do that. And they don't really care that I think it's weird. And I admire that even more. So... There you have it. Not ready to be a flag waver yet. Um, But man, there's something to that. What would happen if we got there? Because the grateful person worships knowing that God owes me nothing. Right? God doesn't actually owe me anything. But when we worship as if God does owe me something, or as if the church owes me something, or as if the pastor owes me something, you know, boy, I got up this morning... I got here by 9.28. I actually got to church early. That pastor better have better make it worth my while for getting out of bed. He owes me a good message this morning. Right? That worship team, boy, if I'm going to have to suffer through six songs, they better be good. They owe it to me. Right? When we have that approach or that attitude in worship, not that anybody does, but um, we may all struggle with some version of that. i, I That's acting as though... God owes me something. God is in debt to me. God, you owe it to make me happy. I think that's where Simon the Pharisee was at. After all his hard effort, his religious work, right? His devotion, even inviting Jesus over for dinner. I mean, boy, that maybe he was trying to prove that he loved his enemy. I, I don't know what he was doing there, but he seemed to believe that Jesus owed him something. Or at least that he could tell Jesus what to do or what to think. It's amazing. It's, a, it's an arrogant. It's just an arrogant thing to suggest that God is in debt to me for all my good deeds. Do you realize the absurdity of that? And yet, how easily we do that. So, I would say at the same time, lots of people act as if they've earned salvation by good efforts. Right? How many? How many times have you heard someone say, "If you said, you, you know, would you go to heaven? Yeah, I, I'm a pretty good person. I haven't really killed anybody yet, and um, you know." Yeah, I, I, what they're saying is I've done enough good things that God owes me. It's a terrifying place to be. God owes me nothing. Salvation from God is a free gift of God's grace extended to anyone who will receive it. And so, before we put our faith in Christ... Our sin, yours and mine, had us in deep debt with God. And that's the little parable Jesus is telling, right? The two debtors are forgiven, one little and one a lot. So obviously one is going to be more grateful than the other. And the, the woman understood her sin debt to God. And yet there is no debt because his grace has forgiven it. He tells you, you're forgiven. And this is amazing because this is prior to even Jesus going to the cross where all our sin debt, yours and mine, was all laid on Jesus. And his righteousness in exchange was laid on us who will believe. That's the divine exchange. All paid for by grace through faith. And the difference between the woman and the Pharisee was their posture. It was their posture. He's proud. She's humble. He considers himself Righteous. She considers herself in need of righteousness. Her sins were obvious. His were hidden behind religion. I mean, think about this example. True story. My debit card was hacked this week. Oh, yeah, it's just exciting. And, uh, you know, a little, little, little panic attack um, going on. It's like, ah, what's going on? Right? Someone got money out of my bank account. Well, I would say that's an obvious sin. Right. It's theft. It's stealing. Someone owes me. Right. There's a debt owed to me. But maybe just maybe I have a tendency to grasp and cling to stuff and to money, because in truth, I don't fully trust God to meet my needs and supply my daily bread. So um, hmm, that's the sin of unbelief. Now, which is more serious? Someone who stole some money from me or my unbelief, my unwilling to trust in God. You see what has more significant impact, right? I, you know, I read the story and I think, oh, poor Simon. He just hasn't sinned enough to really know God's grace. He's just too good. That's really the, the issue. But in fact, like me, he's miscalculated or underestimated the size of his sin debt. It's just not as obvious as the immoral woman's debt, but it's a debt nonetheless. Right. Um, I got time for a quick illustration, so I just I'm this time. You can just stay where you are. Kurt and Sandra, I'm going to use you as my illustration this morning. No, you guys are taking good notes. (laughs) Jared, were you my my Did you help me last week? No, that was David and Johnny, right? Okay, Nate and Jared, I'm going to get you guys to help me. Now, let's imagine, let's imagine, um, I'm going to loan you $20. And I'm going to loan you $1, okay? Now, of these two young men, which, who of them is in debt? One or both of them? They're both in debt to me, right? One is a very small debt. One is a larger debt. OK, now, if, for example, and that's a big if. Ouch. If I were to forgive this debt. Right. Who would be more grateful? Obviously, Jared would be because he's got the twenty dollar bill. Now, let's say Jared pays me back. <laughs> All right? He is. He is. Is he debt free? Yes. Right. His debt is done. He's paid it. He's clear. He's in the, in the clear. Now, Nate, on the other hand, no. is he still in debt? It's only a dollar difference. Is he debt free? But it's so small. How, can we just say he's not really debt? He's just really, it's not that. It's just so minor. He's not really in debt until he pays that dollar back to me. <laughs> he's truly in debt, right? You're both debt-free. You may, you may be seated. Thanks for your help. And like Dave Ramsey would teach, doesn't it feel good to be debt-free? You know? Just paying that back just is so liberating. You don't have to carry that weight on you anymore. Financial Peace University is going to be offered here uh, Sunday nights, starting right after Easter. We encourage you to sign up for that. It's a great program. Teach you how to stay out of debt, whatever size it is. All right. Well, look, look where Simon's attitude leads, right? Like most Pharisees, he takes the wrong posture. So this is such a a picture of a Pharisee at worship, right? Standing when he should be kneeling. I mean, he is in the presence of the Son of God. He's standing over him. He's looking down on people when he should be looking up at Christ. He's quick to criticize both Jesus and the sinful woman. He looks for what's wrong instead of rejoicing in what's right. And even today, you know, Pharisee types like these guys did make it make it make it hard to follow God. They make it difficult. They make scripture scary and intimidating. And well, you really shouldn't read it for yourself because, you know, you really need an expert. And so it leaves you feeling inadequate. Inadequate. And unworthy. It leaves you feeling more lost than loved. That's a Pharisee at worship. That's the wrong posture. Instead of humbly at the feet of Jesus. Pouring out love. Receiving his mercy and his compassion. Different posture. Simon seems so angry. And I wonder if it's WWPT syndrome. Anybody familiar with WWPT syndrome? Anybody had that? It's highly contagious. We can get it from people. It's often passed down from parents to children. Um, some of you grew up with that, and you've you've worked hard to be you know, rid of that affliction. Oh, anybody know what that is? It's it's what will people think syndrome. Anybody grew up with that? Well, what will people think? What will people think if your hair is blue, Josh? All right. Red, there was a time when Josh, our worship leader, had red hair. What will people think? It was Bozo Clown Red. That's Josh's dad. We know what he thought. He thought it was Bozo Clown Red. It's, uh, it's about reputation. It's a, it's a dangerous syndrome, right? Simon's first concern is his Reputation. And he extends that to Jesus because, by extension, what's going on in his house is making him look bad. So if this man were a prophet, he'd know what kind of woman is touching him. Let's get her out of here. Who made Simon the judge of what Jesus should know or think or do or say? But this whole episode, you see, clashes with Simon's reputation as a well-put-together religious man. He cared nothing about the woman, Simon. He cared nothing about the woman because she's just a prostitute, after all. While Jesus cares deeply about the woman because she's a prostitute and she needs true love from God. Do you notice Jesus' body language? First, he's... he's, he's uh, He's speaking to Simon, challenging him, and then he turns and looks in the woman, and he's still speaking, but he's rebuking Simon. The proud one is humbled. The proud one is humbled, and the humble one is elevated, lifted up. So it raises this question for us What do we honor more? What do we honor more? A nice, clean looking reputation? Well put together or a, a total spill your tears on the floor and waste your money on extravagant worship kind of approach. Do we honor the heartfelt outpouring of the broken hearted? Or do we elevate only the person who appears well put together? You know, could you just take your mess and deal with it somewhere else? And so that at least when you get here, you know, it's, it's just it's not so awkward and messy. Right. I put it this way. Do we care more about reputation or relationships? You care more about reputation or relationships. You know, have you ever noticed that Jesus never said, go memorize Bible verses. Or go, therefore, to another Bible study. Now. As you know, I'm high on scripture. I want you in the word. I love that we have a one and kids are learning scripture. I love that we have Bible study opportunities. But keep in mind Jesus instructions. He didn't say, go, therefore, and study some more. He said, what go, therefore, and make disciples. He said, go love your neighbor as yourself. Go love your enemies. Go love one another. It's all relational. Jesus tells us to go and it's all into relationships. His concern is for relationships, not religion. It's for action over academics. And I can't go, however, into and be in a God honor relationships if I'm standing arms folded, right, full of self-righteousness. I did it myself. Don't need anybody needs to tell me what to do. I better check my posture. Am I looking down at others or am I looking up at Jesus? Do I understand my desperate need of grace? No matter how good I've been. Do I recognize the generosity Jesus demonstrated on the cross that while I was his enemy, he went to the cross so that he could make me a friend of God? While we were sinners, God showed his love that Christ died for us. Here's the really, really cool part. When you humbly look to Jesus. No matter what you've done, whether anybody knows about it or not. And in a room like this, some of you have suffered some terrible things and some of you have done some things that you're deeply ashamed about and when you approach Jesus he like this woman looks at you with all the compassion all the kindness all the mercy all the grace that you could ever need and more there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus He says, you're forgiven. Not, you know, if you stick with this long enough, you'll eventually be forgiven. It's you are forgiven. Right here, right now. And when we finally get that, we won't be able to keep ourselves in grateful worship. I want to ask you, what's your posture today? What's your posture? When you see yourself... If you were to imagine yourself even approaching Jesus, approaching God's throne, being in that dinner party with Jesus, what's your posture? Are you at His feet? Are you willing to be humble before Him? Without demands... Or setting your own agenda. Or setting your own criteria for that. Maybe you've never actually come to the place of trusting Jesus Christ to be your Savior. Your Lord and Savior. The one who rescues you from all your sin. And if you're honest, you know you need a Savior. So as we close today, I'm going to invite you to stand I'm going to pray and I've got I've got two challenges for you. One is if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've trusted your life to him, whether you've walked with him for six days or. Ninety six years. My challenge is. What's your posture? Are you humble before him? And the other challenge is, if you don't know Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. So while heads are bowed and eyes are closed tonight, this is such a great opportunity to do your own business with God. If you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior and you want to make Him that today, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand and look at me. And uh, someone in the prayer room is going to pray with you afterward. After we do this. Anybody saying, yeah, I want to give my life to Jesus today. I want to, I want to be forgiven of my sin and have eternal life with God. So for the rest of us, it's a great moment. Jesus, what's my posture? Thank you, Lord, for speaking today. Thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving this, this account, this episode repeatedly in your word. You want us to catch this. God, deliver us from from being Pharisees like Simon and lead us to be like that woman broken before you. So deeply recognizing that she needed you. Lord, none of us is good enough on our own. There's none of us who's righteous, not not even one. Lord, we could try to help ourselves, but it's like it's like you would back off and let us and we just crash and burn. And instead, I want to be someone who comes and says, "I, I got nothing, Jesus. I got nothing. My own righteousness is is just filthy. So instead I want to receive all that mercy. All that forgiveness, all that healing, all that washing. Lord, I pray the same for every person in this room. Let it just flow, I pray in Jesus' name. Let's sing together.